If you have uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to John chapter fourteen. <clears throat> um, and as you do, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up in Omaha. Um, became a Christian through the missional influence of some neighbors that I had. I fell strategically between their last two children. They had five kids, and so like I grew up in an alcoholic environment. He was twenty when I was born. My mom was seventeen. She got kicked out of a Catholic high school in Omaha. You couldn't be Catholic and pregnant at the same time, uh, unwed at 17. And so she got kicked out of her high school. The interesting years as I look back on it, especially now in ministry. I can't imagine what those two years were like. Um, but everybody is an alcoholic in my family except one of my grandmas. A uh, year and a half ago, uh, my dad died at 59 due to liver and kidney failure. Um, I have some other family members that are headed in that direction. Um, my, grandma is, my grandma attends church, the grandma who's not an alcoholic. She was 38 when I was born. So I grew up with her, um, actually. So I'm an only child. Grew up with her, became a Christian through this family that, was, that lived behind them. And... Uh, um, when we had one of our children, we named his, well, his, he carries in his middle name the name, their last name. Um, and so we visit with them, we hang out with them in the summers. It's pretty fun. They had a lot of influence. If you, if you feel like you don't have much influence because you're, you know, working a job and doing your thing and raising your family, if you're doing that while okay with a neighbor kid coming in, you're making a difference. So um, I became a Christian because of that family. Uh, well, okay, good Reformed people. Because of the providence of God, sovereignty of God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they were hospitable. I would eat with them. They would try to get me to go to church. Sometimes my grandma was cool with that. Sometimes she wasn't. I'd hop in their station wagon. We'd go to church. Um, they moved away when I was in sixth grade. So from sixth grade up for adolescence, um, I had always kind of like decided as a non-Christian that like, hey, alcohol's not doing well around here. Like I had kind of a strong will as a non-Christian. And then the summer of my sophomore year of high school, turned 16, drove myself to church. Two pastors, big, huge mega church in Omaha. It's the only church I knew of. It's the church that my neighbors went to when they were in town, and then they moved years ago. So I drove myself to that church. I literally walked in. I didn't know where to go. They had moved stuff around, remodeled, added on. That's what churches do, this particular church. And I found uh, some youth ministry going on and got engaged right away. And two pastors, I mean, this, this youth ministry had probably 250 kids in it. Um, from for just their high school ministry, I mean, just like cranking, like multiple staff members, and two pastors invested in me from the time that I was basically 16 and a half on. I was immediately invested in by two guys, which was huge for me. Um, my parents had divorced. My dad kind of lived all over the country as a sales guy until he, until he just quit working uh, because of alcohol. Um, I would literally see my dad, you want to talk about family of origin, I would literally see my dad walking down the street 
as a homeless person. And that stuff shapes you. Not only did I grow up with my grandparents, but what I would do, so here's, this is a quick sidebar. I didn't, what you think, you have one dad on earth, and that relationship is ridiculously important. So what I would do is I would pull over and I would watch to see where he went. And he always went to the liquor store. But I would literally pull over in a parking lot to a business across the street and be like, oh, that's my dad. Because I'm tethered there. We're living completely different lives. He was very outspoken against Christ and the gospel. Tried to share the gospel with him multiple times. He always told me, don't talk to me about, and then used words that I will not use in this beautiful church building. Um, so I had to honor him with that. And so I did not talk with him about the gospel more than really like three times. He was really mad about it. Um, but he got what he wanted. Heathered to alcohol. So we had some decent conversations on his deathbed. What happened was um, I became a Christian uh, at 16, 17, went away to school. These two pastors were encouraging me towards Bible college. I was like, happy to just graduate high school. In my family, you don't go to college. Um, I'm, <laughs> to this day, I'm the only guy who's gone to college, graduated, gotten married, and stayed married in my family in generations, honestly. Um, three generations. It's unheard of. Like, this stuff isn't really that hard, but uh, in my family, it's ridiculous. So, um, the Lord saved me 22 years ago, and um, I've been basically doing ministry ever since. I tell you that story because it feeds into why I do what I do now. It feeds into this afternoon when we talk about uh, other things and Ephesians and anxiety. Um, but, uh, and that's, that's also why I have great respect for trades. And um, if any of you are here working at the John Deere plant, I am jealous because... I'm married to a farm girl in Montana, or she's from Montana. She lives with me in Omaha now. Um, <laughs> but we're John Deere thick and thin in, in Montana. And uh, took my, the last time I was here, I think it was the last time I was here, brought my son, and we toured the plant, and um, it was a lot of fun. So anyway, that's a little bit about me. Uh, I should throw in there that I went to school in Minnesota, got this four-year degree in biblical and theological studies because my pastors told me to, honestly. Um, so I did that, honed my theology the next couple of years, started a college ministry in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, that was uh, a growing up experience, uh, to put it lightly. Um, we had our daughter there, so we had two kids, and we moved back to Omaha, and we've been, uh, I've worked at a, another church briefly as kind of rehab and did some counseling, actually to just kind of figure out what we should be doing with our lives. Um, but the Lord wouldn't really let me out of vocational ministry. I've tried a few times, because uh, ministry is not for the faint of heart, and um, it, is, it is work. Um, but the Lord wants me to do it, so I keep doing it, and I love doing it. Um, it does wear on us, at, us pastors at times. I've been at Cormdale for a little over a decade. Um, done multiple things there, 
Um, but mostly it comes, no matter what my title is, it always ends up coming back to this type of stuff. Sitting with people, personal ministry, face-to-face type of ministry. Uh, lots of heavy lifting um, in a church our size, so needs some pastoral oversight. I do have two assistants. Ted, um, some of you might know Ted. He's, he worked with us actually a lot on the last chart. Um, he's our deacon of care. Uh, which he's a full-time staff guy. I realize that a lot of your churches aren't at that situation, but he has built a lot of systems for us. People who are miscarrying, people who are having babies, people who are doing this, that, and the other thing. We do refer out to counseling. So I mentioned we've built a network of counselors in our city. Um, We do refer out to counseling. And so Ted also keeps track of all of those things for us. And so if if you need systems, Here's the thing, here's what I know about churches. They need a lot of help building stuff because um, pastors and leaders are just too busy doing the work all the time, and so it's really hard to work on your church when you're just working in your church, and Sunday comes every week, so um, if you need help with that, you can reach out to me or Ted, or you can let me know, and I can try to help you here, or we can connect you to Ted. So here's what I want to do. John chapter 14 We are going to start in verse 15, John 14. Would you stand for the reading of the word? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, my commandments, and keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll be manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear is not and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. It's the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. This John 14 passage, as we enter into this particular um, section, the Holy Spirit in counseling. It's this elementary graph, uh, a cloud and two Figures. I don't know how to draw the Holy Spirit, so it's just a cloud. But what I want you to do is put your hand over that cloud on your paper, 
Because what we tend to do is we tend to think that ministry is just between two people. We, the minute we are with somebody, we forget John 14. The minute we are asked, text, something shows up in your gospel community, your small group, sorry, um, you tend to think, oh man, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? I have no idea. I hope I have something to say. Right? Well, in practice, we tend to forget about the Holy Spirit, and so I drove all the way over here from Omaha to tell you, to, as Christians, to not neglect the Holy Spirit in your personal ministry, especially in our tribe. This is worth an entire talk, okay? I love that you know Scripture. You should use Scripture all the time in your counseling moments, but do not hide behind Scripture with people. And so this has been uh, what happened was, the reason I'm sharing with you is because it seems pretty practical, and it's proven to be pretty practical for people. And so I want to, basically by the end of this, I, I, my, my hope is that you just kind of have this exhale of like, oh, the Holy Spirit is here, and the Lord can do work. So that's the goal of this entire talk. Okay, so let's exercise this a little bit. We're going to interact. Um, what must the Holy Spirit do this is uh this is me the or the counselor okay and this is uh person a okay what must the holy spirit do for me as i am interacting in this scenario shout out whatever go ahead i i still didn't hear you sorry intercede <laughs> big words Intercede. What else? What must the Holy Spirit give me, Dusty White, pastor guy, in the moment, or you, missional community leader, in the moment to counsel so-and-so or to help so-and-so? Courage. Yes. Courage. Ooh, that's good. That one's good, too. <laughs> You're learning about my personality when I say, like, oh, yeah, that one's good, too. <laughs> what about um, skill? There's certain people that are sought out in your church, just be and more than others, because they actually have more sympathy or empathy or skill in those areas, right? The Holy Spirit also gives me certain gifts, right? Some of those gifts are discernment and wisdom along the way or skill. Okay, what, what, uh, what must I give person A? Truth? What if it's issues of um, what if it's issues of sin? So truth works. What else? Gospel, um, scripture. Like sometimes I just need to bring scripture. Sometimes I need to not all the time. 
rarely, I would say only 10% of the time, I need to mark 115 this thing, which is repentance and faith, like rebuke. Not very often do I need to do that. Um, I need to bring truth or even a theology, like a, a reorientation of theology to, to somebody because maybe they're misaligned in their, what they actually believe in the moment. So I need to be like, oh, oh, that didn't sound right. That's, that's actually not what that particular passage means or that's actually not what God is trying to say to you. It doesn't seem because it just doesn't match up with truth of a whole council of Scripture. Not just one verse, but the whole entire council of Scripture. Okay, what must person A do with the Holy Spirit? Listen. Repent. That's really good. They don't repent with me. It's not on me. This is between them and the Lord, right? Like you think about Jesus and the paralytic, or their dude, the paralytic, to Jesus. Their whole goal is just to cut the hole in the roof and get him to Jesus, right? That's your goal as a helper, as a friend, as a counselor. And the repentance work, they need to do repentance work with the Lord, not me. Now, so like, do they need to repent to their husband or their wife or their whatever, whatever? Yeah, maybe. But that repentance is part B. Part A is to the Lord. In fact, I don't even want them to repent to their friend or their spouse until they've done that work with the Lord, right? What else? Say it louder. Believe. What do you mean by believe? Like, put some flesh around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe for them, right? I can try. I can encourage them. What else? Yeah. Yeah, we learn all over Scripture, right? Like, people's hearts are hardened, so they have to be tender, tenderized. What were you going to say? Desire? Yeah. Yeah, they have to desire God more than they desire just like a good conversation, right? Hopefully they're not just bored. Hopefully they want to like actually move towards change. Okay, so this would all be great if it ended here. What must the Holy Spirit bring to person A? Yeah. Feeling? Oh, yeah. I can't hear. I got issues. I'll get that checked when I get home. What else? Healing? Conviction, transformation. Wisdom. The other thing the, the Spirit is doing um, is 
creating the brokenness. Like if you think about David in Psalm 51 or 32 or both, it's the spirit that David is interacting with that the spirit is breaking so that he can have the soft heart to do the work of repentance. Um, Also, it's really important that the spirit gives me godly grief. Uh, Your text for this would be 2 Corinthians, feel bad about their sin. I want them to be grieved that this grieves the heart of God, right? Now, they can feel bad about it, but I don't want them to be just sad about it. Does that make sense? Our English words here are limited a little bit for what I'm after, what I'm trying to explain, but the idea here is that they, are, they aren't just sad that they've done a sin or committed sin against a person. They're broken that sin has happened against their holy God. It has some earthly ramifications. Um, what does person A need to do with me? Okay. Trust, honesty. Yeah. I just thought about my kids. No, I'm kidding. But openness, yeah. Vulnerability. What else? Teachability, vulnerability, openness. Um, I mean, they got to just tell me stuff, right? And they, underneath that trust piece, underneath that vulnerability piece, is everybody is close to the vest with something. And so they're going to have to eventually share with me what that thing is. Um, so... Over t- that could happen over time. See, trust is an interesting thing because trust is given, but also trust is earned. And so, especially if you're in a certain position in your church, trust is often just given, but it also depends on the person because some people just don't trust anybody. Some people trust everybody, and until you're proven wrong and untrustworthy, I'm going to trust you, right? So trust is an interesting piece of the pie, but eventually I have to get to... Um, this, this vulnerability piece, and nobody likes being vulnerable. Vulnerability is really odd. We hate it. Nobody in this room is like, I don't. <laughs> you really don't. You might like talking. You might like sharing. You might like um, communicating with people. But when it gets down to the deep contours of your soul or your story, you get nervous. You get scared of things. Uh, the story that I was sharing with you uh, about the the unfortunate circumstances about this divorce that's happening or that has happened. Um, it was like we had been working with this thing for like 11 months, which really is not that long, okay, with this particular story. Um, and it wasn't until like month eight or nine that the wife started to express certain types of abuse that were happening. We had met so many times um, we had talked about a lot of things, but there are certain abuses in that marriage 
that were not being expressed until we had met 20 plus times. Um, you could say like, well, that's a lot. But actually, it's not. But it takes that much time sometimes for people to trust you. Now, not everybody has that kind of time, okay? I'm not saying like, go give people 20 meetings, you know, like real jobs. So um, you're not going to be able to do that all the time. But trust comes out slowly, even though you might know a person really well. I just learned, <laughs> this is like pastoral failure on our part. I just learned that there's been this dude on our staff for two and a half years uh, that had, has a sister that we don't even know about. I'm like, how did I not know that? Because he didn't want to share it. He's not proud of it. It's like this estranged situation in their family that his parents kind of hid, and so therefore he hid. And I'm like, dude, you got a sister? Like, let's talk. This is news, you know? Like, we just, we just don't share information sometimes because we're either ashamed of it or it's hurt us or whatever reason. Okay. What, what must I do with the Holy Spirit in this moment? Humility? Louder, sorry. Yeah. Relinquish responsibility. Man, that feels good. Listen. Dependence. What else? Obey. Yeah. Especially if the Spirit is like, hey, say this. You're like, ooh, I don't really want to. That might sting. We might break up after this. I don't really want to do that. I don't want to say that. But the Spirit might be asking me to. Um, the other thing here is prayer. I'm going to pray in all occasions, right? I'm going to be praying throughout this gathering, throughout this meeting, for the Spirit to tell me something. I'm going to, and then if I'm praying for that, I'm also going to expect, I'm going to expect God to move. I'm entering into this counseling appointment, this meeting, this coffee, whatever it is, whatever it is we're doing here, I'm showing up expecting God to move. If that, if you, if you show up expectant, if you show up prayerful, then your dependence just gets right in line with that. And then the Lord works. Because if you just show up kind of like, oh, well, whatever, here we are, you know, okay, cool, sweet, which we're all guilty of doing. Um, I'm, I don't even know if the Lord's alive today, you know, like, is, is the Lord real? You know, like, we have all of the same issues that the people that we're trying to help have. And so we have to prayer, like, we have to prayerfully get, actually meet with somebody. If you enter into meeting with somebody just like you, like, are going to go shoot off an email or use the restroom, like, you're not going to be expectant. You're going to be um, disappointed. And then you're also not loving that person really well if you're not being expectant. So um, the reason why I want to share this with you and the reason why I want to give it to you is because of John 14. Um, we forget that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and that he has sent the helper to us on our behalf. He sent the helper into us. 
and he sent the helper to be with us and around us. And so there's always three people in every counseling scenario. Worst case, there's three people. Sometimes there's more, right? And so I'm constantly asking when I'm with somebody, um, God, what are you doing? I'm not asking, what do I do? I'm asking, why are we here? What are we doing? And if I keep asking that, if I keep dependent upon that, then God will tell me. Now, it might just be like, not much today. You might not be doing much. We might just be gaining trust. This is going to be a long road. Or it actually might be one meeting. It might be like, here's what we're doing. I've done all this work. Um, So-and-so is coming to meet. I'm going to quick realign or quick make sense of something, and boom, we're done. Conversation over. That was really helpful. It was really great. Great. I had one of those last week. Hey, here's what's going on in my life, blah, 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 blah. I end those meetings with like, hey, would you like, do you, would you like to meet again? Do you think we need to meet again? No. Okay, me neither. I don't meet to meet. Um, you don't go to church to just go to church. You go to church to worship the Lord, right? You meet with people intentionally on purpose because they need help or because you need help. And so like things need to have purpose in our lives. Now, sometimes we just need to go to church. I just realized as I was saying that, I don't fully agree with that. Sometimes just doing the thing, some, I mean, honestly, like sometimes just doing the thing is enough. Sometimes just meeting with somebody is enough because it's doing something over time. This is creating muscle memory or trust or something. The, the thing here is, what's great about this is the Holy Spirit does all the work. Like, you show up, and you're asking, God, what are you doing here, or what do you want me to do in this moment? I got to say some stuff. I might need to, like, do the descriptive work at some point. But the biggest load is right here. I'm simply in the room. I, like, I always say at our church, like, I got a front row seat to a lot of really cool stuff. Like, sometimes it's hard stuff, but, man, if, if we weren't there, these, these like, make sense of something for somebody, or we get to like um, bring some sort of perspective, but all of the work is between the Holy Spirit and person A. That's the work of brokenness, it's the work of repentance, the work of transformation and wisdom and change, all that stuff is up to the Holy Spirit and the person. I'm just there. I just got a front row seat. I got some work to do, and it takes some skill and some finesse and some love but at the end of the day, the Spirit is the one who brings all of the change. So I'm sharing this with you to simply say, it's not on you. The Holy Spirit will take care of that person. That person is a child of God. They're not a child of so-and-so. They're a child of the Lord. The Lord also, as you desire change for people, as you want change for people, and as you try to help people, the Lord wants that more. The Lord wants all of that stuff happening more. For those parents in the room, you really want your kids to walk with the Lord? The Lord wants them to walk with the Lord more than you do, right? That can get translated to a lot of different buckets of our lives. So what questions do you have about this stuff or like matrix?
I'm not that good of a teacher or explainer, so I disagree that there's no questions. What do they have to be saying? Yeah. Well, I think what's helpful here from person A is um, they're, usually, they're usually coming to you with an issue. Um, they're coming to you with some type of issue or concern or uh, stuckness. They're stuck. Um, and that's actually the tension of personal ministry in counseling sometimes. If somebody comes to you because they have this and they need help and they want you to fix it for them, it's issue-based um, or it's situation-based. Hey, my family, this. Tell me what to do. Okay. So they got to bring that stuff to you. That's their role. That's their job. But at the same time, they're offering that up. I might not tell you with your family or whatever, so i got to actually say, like, is that the actual issue? Or is the issue something completely else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am talking mostly about the personal one-on-one ministry here, but I do think it happens in the it, it can also happen in a small group setting, and it does happen in a small group setting because we believe that community does actually the bigger load of care and counseling most of the time, right? Um, I think what the Holy Spirit has to do is give leaders really good discernment and wisdom in those moments, and the leaders have to have a lot of courage because what happens in a small group setting is if we're all trying to help Ben, because he's always up here, um, if we're all help, trying to help Ben, and we all got our Bibles out, I'm going to just keep trying to give Ben some sort of solution. You know why? Because I don't like Ben feeling this way. And so I have a disposition of like, oh, I really want to help. Like, I'm going to read John 14 to him. Well, Sally might think that's not what he needed. He needed Ephesians, blah, blah, blah. Well, now Ben's got a lot to figure out. And also what James said was just weird. Like, like, James was like, like I read John 14, so-and-so read Ephesians 3. Ben's like, okay, like, he, you know, he's got, he's got to do all of his own work, right? So Ben's in the moment trying to figure it out. I need to be listening as the leader in the small group setting of like, was that helpful? And that's actually, I think, the best small group question a leader can have in their arsenal at all times. Because... The Spirit is going to tell you if it's weird, okay? Now, it doesn't have to be super spiritual. Like, when things feel a little off, or your group feels a little sideways, and things are getting a little fidgety, and like somebody just decided to use the restroom because this just got awkward, listen, sometimes that's the Holy Spirit saying like, get this thing back on the rails. And sometimes what you can say is like, hey, if Sally just preached five minutes at Ben, on how to deal with his family, Ben was kind of like, okay, great. And you can tell Ben was like, okay, great. What you as the leader can do in that moment is say, hey, Ben, was that helpful? Which is my humility of checking, was it helpful? And he, he may agree with that or he may not. And if he's like, yeah, actually it was helpful, that really helps me. 
That helps me be like, oh, I'm off. I'm off here. I need to trust the Spirit. Spirit's moving. I'm going to get out of the way. Or it can be like, that's what I thought. It didn't seem helpful. Is this helpful? John 14, Ephesians 3, like, where you at? What's that? Yeah, or they're both off. But then we're off too, often, right? Like as leaders. And so I think the role of the Holy Spirit for me as a small group leader is I have to be praying. I'm doing all the same stuff. Like I'm praying, I'm expecting the Lord to work. I'm expecting Ben to actually walk out of, our, out of here tonight at 8.30 p.m. with all of his kids in tow, like feeling like the Lord ministered to him. Um, but it's multiple people. So I got to figure out how to keep that thing on the rails the most I can. Now, that's really hard because it takes a lot of courage because it's more than one person. And, well, you don't want to overstep. But, like, actually, if you assert yourself with some courage into that moment, the other people will enjoy that and they'll actually come back. If you let, if you let that thing just go off the rails and everybody in the room knows, except for what's-her-name, that that was not helpful, everybody else in the group just felt weird. And they're like, uh, is that what we do here? I'm busy next Tuesday. Because, like, and that was weird. So, like, see what I'm saying? So I think we have to have courage. Again, it goes back to courage, and it has to go back to, like, not some crazy, amazing Holy Spirit descended upon me moment, which does happen. That does happen. Like, sometimes the Spirit will just give you a word for Ben. And that happens. But that should be tested, it should make sense, and it should be helpful. And if it's Scripture, if it's Scripture, it should always have some flesh on it, is what one of my friends says. Meaning like, okay, I don't like Ben feeling this way. Like, uh, Psalm 130. Um, no. Like, if it's from the Spirit, it's going to be like, hey, you should share John 14 with Ben. That actually, you were reading that last week? That could really help him right now. Maybe, maybe not. Dean, go. From the sound booth.
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sometimes I'll just pray in the moment. Um, if there's ever any confusion in a, in a counseling scenario or in a small group scenario and it feels confusing, that is not of the Lord. The Lord is not about confusion. The enemy is about confusion. Especially in a moment like this where like this is spiritual battle. Like you're trying to help somebody get unlocked or get unstuck. So if he can thwart that or confuse that, that's why like when you meet with somebody after an hour and a half, you're just exhausted sometimes because it's spiritual battle. It's like work. So I will sometimes, Joel, just pray in the moment. Like, okay, this, this, just, got, this just got kind of weird or it got something. Or this doesn't feel helpful, and I can tell that Ben's not being helped right now, so like, let me, let's just stop. I, I would have never done this 10 years ago, but I think it's important, I, I'm mature enough now to go like, hey, let's just stop right here, and let's pray and be done. Um, or let's pray and keep talking, or keep conversing and expecting. The other thing you can do is right at the very beginning... Yeah. The other thing that you can do, uh, the other thing that you can do is, and I like to do this a lot, is I will usually begin an appointment with somebody praying. Like the, like, as the leader, they're expecting you to pray. Number one. Um, but I want to know, and I've ripped this off from James Noriega, which is a long time ago. Like, this is back, like, 13 years ago. Um, he, his line is, I want to know if your Jesus is my Jesus. And so sometimes I'll begin a counseling appointment or a whatever appointment. If I'm going to meet with Ben, since he's in the front row, um, I'll be like, hey, so what do you want to meet about? Okay. Great. And maybe I already know some of that through his email or whatever, text, conversation. I might not know anything. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get like, okay, Ben, what do you want to meet? Okay, well, he comes in heavy. Like, I also want to know how he's coming in. Is he coming in light? Is he coming in encouraged? Is he coming in like more? But like, I just had it on the appointment. I don't want to cancel. He's a nice guy. So he's like, I just thought, I'd okay, great. Maybe we don't have a lot of work to do. Or he's coming in just like, oh, crap, dude. And I'm like, okay. Feels a little anxious. Right? I want to know how he's coming in, but then I'll just ask him, here's how Ben prays. Lord, thanks for today. I'm just really glad we're here. Okay, amen. Hmm. Weird. That was, it was a prayer. He said amen. I barely heard him, but it wasn't very rich. It wasn't very deep. And I'm not in the place to evaluate his prayer life, but I was like, oh, he doesn't feel like super connected to the Lord like he's expecting the Lord to show up right now. Right? So my, I need to slow him down. Or he comes in and he prays for eight minutes. And, and the reason he prays for eight minutes is because he's just wondering if God is even up there. And he's begging God to come down and he's confused about God. 
okay, now I know how I need to counsel him. Not always, but like it helps. So I can pray in the moment when things get weird. I can pray at the beginning. I can pray at the end. Your counseling, your one-on-one personal ministry should always involve the gospel. It should always involve scripture. The scripture should make sense. It should have flesh on it. And it should involve prayer. Um, It's the easiest way for you to slow down and realize this. Oh, I'm expecting God to do something. I better get out of the way for a minute. Especially if you do it more and more and you become gifted at it and you're just like, America runs on efficiency, right? So like, let's assembly line this thing. No, this is a soul. This soul needs to engage the living God and you happen to be in the front row. What an amazing opportunity. Let's cut the roof off, lower them down, see what happens. What also happens when I cut the roof off is that person might get healed because I had the faith to even get them there, right? So like, I have got to be dependent. I want to know if they're dependent. Um, Joe, I don't feel like I'm actually answering your question though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say that, that the limitations of that last chart compared to this one are all right here, right? Or actually here. It's all right here. Like, what am I picking up? What do I need to say? Is this like negative emotion stuff or is this sin stuff? What are we doing here? And then I'm like, okay, spirit, Ben needs to repent. <laughs> well, I can't make him, so bring some conviction, please. Like, I can say, like, hey, dude, you need to repent. It sounds like this. But the Spirit has to get him to the brokenness part. I also don't want mechanical repentance. I don't want, like, you told me to repent, so I'll repent. Okay. Actually, one of, it can be, like, pastoral male practice, if you will, to just make that thing go. I want godly grief before I get to, like, repentance, because what I don't want Ben doing is thinking he repented two weeks ago when, like, he still hasn't, like, the Lord hasn't broken the guy. I'm like, hey, dude, you know what I want to pray for right now? I just want to pray that the Lord would soften your heart, break us down a little bit. Super proud of you for coming to talk about this. This is huge. Man, that took a lot of courage. Let's honor that courage in the moment as an evidence of grace from the Spirit, and then let's, let's just, let's meet in two weeks. I want to know I don't know what the Lord's doing. Pray these things. Think about this. Read this scripture. Go slow. Personal ministry is slow. It's not efficient. Which, by the way, if you're an efficient person, um, if you're, in, let's just talk Enneagram for a minute, okay? If you're an Enneagram 3, you and you can bleed where the heart bleeds at times, and you're soft at the end of the day. But it's just slow work. Um, you have got to go slower than you want to go, especially if you're a three or an eight, okay? So it's, the personal ministry is it's work. It takes a long time. And I would, I would just argue that it takes a long time to do it well to make sure you're not <laughs> hurting people. Personal ministry, you can hurt a lot of people fast if you go too fast. And you don't want to do that, right? 
Any more questions about this particular section? Yeah. Mm. You ever notice, like, oh, this is happening in my soul. I'm definitely not in tune with what's going to be the Man, I just got convicted. <laughs> if you're in the back, he's saying, like, hey, you've been doing this for a while. Like, are you aware of any dynamics in my own soul, right? Where I'm unaware of this, like. And I think the danger, the danger with the older you get and the longer you're in ministry and the more people you encounter is um, you just, you want to, <laughs> you've seen, you've had some mileage. So you're like, okay, well, let me tell you how to deal with the porn guy. This is how you deal with the porn guy. Blah, 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 blah. That's, don't be a jerk, right? Like, that's such a jerky move. So like, lack of dependence on the spirit, cynicism, um, cynicism, we haven't talked about cynicism at all, but for the person who doesn't want to change, you're going to encounter a lot of people who want to share their issues with you but won't actually desire change. That will make you as a minister of the gospel cynical or jaded, or it can. And I'm not saying it will, but it can. And so you have got to pray, Lord, help me to love Ben right now in this moment. Because for the last four days, I, I saw his name, like the way my life works is like my calendar's booked out a couple weeks in advance with appointments. And so I know right now, like, oh, geez, like, why am I even meeting with that person? Like, I get cynical about it. So cynicism is a good warning sign for me. Um, fatigue, like just straight up tired. I went uh, a couple years ago, Probably about four or five years ago, I moved my calendar from meeting with somebody for an hour because I still shoot to be done in an hour, but that gives me a half hour to regroup. Um, it feels like, well, I mean, pastors only work one day a week, right? So like, um, so I don't know what my excuse is. Like, like when people, when people, uh, when people ask you, well, like, when people ask me what I do, I'm like, I'm a pastor. Oh, sweet. So like, preach a lot. No, preach some. What do you do? Uh, meet with a lot of people and try to help them. And they just look at you like, yeah, I knew you didn't have a real job, you know? But like, it just creates a lot of fatigue in your soul. So like, I, I have to be really aware of, like my biggest warning signs are probably cynicism, fatigue. And by cynicism, I mean like, I start to believe that so-and-so doesn't want to change. That to me is like, woo, that's dangerous because they need me to have hope for them. And if I don't leave somebody with hope, I am a jerk. I'm not even just a bad pastor. They didn't need that appointment at all, you know? So like they need hope. And my gospel got up out of the grave with hope. So I'm clinging to Easter. I'm clinging to the resurrection. And so the moment I'm not, the moment I'm just like, Oh, yeah, I've done this before. Like, oh, let me tell you what's going to happen here. In about three months, you're getting divorced. And if you don't get divorced, you're going to get legally separated. And then he, based on his personality, is probably going to do this, that, and the other thing. And, so, like, if I get into that headspace, that's terrible. Because the gospel can bring change at any moment, right? 
So cynicism, fatigue, um, just... Um, so that's where you're like, your disciplined life has to really get set up so that you can, um, and I, I would say like, the more experienced I've gotten and the older I've gotten, the less people I meet with because I know that I just have a certain bandwidth, I have a certain capacity. Um, and so like, the ability to say no, stuff like that. So, one more, Dean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before, I, what I try to do before I have this luxury, but I will try to get another set of eyes on in the, on the situation. Like, hey, would you would you meet with us, and would you explain what's kind of been happening here? Because I feel really, I either feel too close to it, or too jaded, or too uh, unhopeful. So before I actually dismiss it, I will try to get another pastor's eyes on it or Ted's eyes or deacon of care over that and just be like, hey, dude, let me get your take on this. Because um, it could just be me. I might just be in the way, you know. Uh, I've had to do that in a couple of circumstances. Like, especially the heavy stuff in the church, you, you realize, oh, gee, like, I got a big responsibility here. Like, I don't want to just be flipping about this stuff. So, um, but I, I would say, like, if we're telling you everything we need to be telling you, it seems, we've called you to, especially, like, sin is easier because sin and repentance are black and white. You're either repentant or you're not. Where it gets weird is into the wounds and the weakness stuff, um, or a lack of descriptive work that we've failed to do or we haven't gotten out of you. Um, but we can only work with what we're given, right? So, like, I would say... Um, if we're calling you to repentance to keep in step with the Spirit and you're refusing to do so, like, call me when you're ready. <laughs> Here's my number. We're not meeting again. Just, you know where I'm at. Let me know when you're serious. Like, but the gospel doesn't drive around in a cul-de-sac. The gospel changes stuff. Like, at, at some point, it spits you out, like, towards change. Like, okay, we're going down this road now. And that road is aimed at heaven, towards the new kingdom. Um, so I would, I would end stuff there uh, with people. I've also, uh, you also got to know when to hand things off to, to pros. Um, meaning like, hey, we've met three to five times. I don't think I'm very helpful to you. Like, I need to get you to somebody who can be more helpful. Um, I would also say there are certain buckets for mental illness where like, hey, let's not fool anybody here. If it comes down to um, schizophrenia or certain bipolar issues, um, those types of things, then like you're above your pay grade. Everybody, every different church needs to sort that out for themselves and what their view is theologically on that. Um, 
But like if I have a guy randomly showing up at my house who wants to kill me, that's not healthy, right? So like there's something broken there that is not allowing you to move towards repentance and healing. And I need a pro. And you might need meds. So let's, let's be open to those things. Um, let me pray for us. And then we'll eat some lunch, right, Ben? Yeah. You'll direct us. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray to you even in this moment, which we rarely do. We rarely pray to the Holy Spirit. And so, Spirit, we pray to you even now. Thanks for being among us. Thanks for being the third person of the Trinity. Thanks for descending on every small group we've ever had. Thanks for descending on every one-on-one discipleship or counseling appointment we've ever had. We want to help people to the fullest, and so, Spirit, we realize that we are going to need to receive from you, and the people in which we, in which we meet with will need to receive from you. So we receive, even in this moment, from you the power of the gospel that can transform lives. We do want to keep in step with the Spirit, as Pastor Justin was saying from the back. And so would you, would you even minister to us today, right now, to align in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, and to not gratify the desires of the flesh, to not grow weary, to not grow cynical. Spirit, we are dependent upon you. Please do your work and continue to do your work. And I pray for all my friends in this room that as they enter into more personal ministry tomorrow and in years to come, would you remind them that all of the heavy work of conviction and repentance and all of the heavy stuff actually falls to the Spirit because you're our helper. And so we acknowledge you in this moment and ask for your help. We are dependent upon you in Jesus' name. Amen.